I have found out beat news in depth for you. Good evening and welcome to Outbeat News In-Depth. I'm Greg Moralia. We begin tonight with guests from Sonoma State University's Women's and Gender Study Program. Program Chair and Professor Donald Romesburg is here with some of his students to talk about the program, where it came from, and what students are doing with this innovative degree. And in the second half of our hour, Matthew Shepard Foundation Communications Associate Sean McEntee is back to chat up some of the top news stories we've been covering this month on Outbeat News including the tragic suicide of a young gay man in Wyoming. All this is coming up next, right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, April 24th, 2016. I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Last week, the United Kingdom's Foreign Office issued a travel warning to British tourists visiting the American South, specifically referencing North Carolina and Mississippi. On the UK's Foreign Office website, under the Local Laws and Customs section of the U.S. Travel Advice, the following message was posted, quote, Laws vary from state to state. When you are physically present in a state, even temporarily, you're subject to that state's laws. You must carry a passport showing that you have leave to enter or remain with you at all times. The U.S. is an extremely diverse society, and attitudes towards LGBT people differ hugely across the country. LGBT travelers may be affected by legislation passed recently in the states of North Carolina and Mississippi. Before traveling, please read your general travel advice for the LGBT community. The site goes on to reference the Human Rights Campaign site. Director of HRC Global Ty Cobb said, quote, It's both frightening and embarrassing that one of our nation's staunchest allies has warned its citizens to the risks of traveling to North Carolina and Mississippi because of anti-LGBT laws passed by their elected officials. It's now more clear than ever that these terrible measures are not only harming individuals and taking an economic toll on the states, but are also causing serious damage to the nation's reputation and the perceived safety of LGBT people who travel here, end quote. And President Obama had something to say about this as well. On Friday, he called for the overturning of North Carolina's law and criticized the state law and others targeting LGBTQ people during a news conference he held in London on Friday. In response to the British travel advisory, the president said he wanted the British people to know that people in North Carolina and other states that have pursued similar legislation are, quote, wonderful people, and that British citizens should feel free to come and enjoy themselves. He said he believes they'll be treated with extraordinary hospitality. And the president also said, quote, I also think the laws that have been passed are wrong and should be overturned. Although I respect their different viewpoints, I think it's very important for us not to send signals that anybody is treated differently, end quote. But a Fourth Circuit Federal Court of Appeals decision last Tuesday has put North Carolina's discrimination law at odds with federal law. The federal court sided with a transgender teen saying that a lower court should have deferred to the federal government's assertion that Title IX protects transgender students. The case involves Gavin Grimm, a 16-year-old student who sued his school in Gloucester County, Virginia, after it was decided that he would not be allowed to use the boys' bathroom. After intense public debate, the school decided on a policy that provided boys' and girls' bathrooms that were limited to corresponding biological genders. 
Later, the school also provided a unisex bathroom that Grimm could use. Grimm, who was designated female but identifies as male, argued that the policy violated Title IX of the Education Amendments Act of 1972, which prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex in any educational program that gets federal funding. In 2015, the Department of Education issued a memo saying that when a school decides to treat students differently on the basis of sex, it generally must treat transgender students consistent with their gender identity. The Fourth Circuit of Appeals sided with Grimm, saying the lower court should have respected that interpretation. What this means for North Carolina schools is that they risk losing all federal funding for education if they enforce the new House Bill 2, which prohibits transgender students from using the bathroom facility based on their gender identity rather than birth sex. Now here's your calendar of events for the coming week. On Monday, April 25th at 5.30 p.m., the Marin AIDS Project hosts its monthly Mix It Up Mixer at the Four Point Sheridan, 1010 Northgate Drive in San Rafael. And on Tuesday, April 26th at 1.30 p.m., the Santa Rosa Senior Group will meet at the Unitarian Universalist Congregation Center at the Glacier Center. And also on Tuesday at 6 p.m., the Transgender North Bay Group will meet at the Positive Images Center, 312 Chin Street in Santa Rosa. And on Saturday, April 30th, Day on the Green at the Village will happen at the Montgomery Village Center in Santa Rosa. The event includes an art show, dance performances, and creative activities for kids. Admission is free, and proceeds from beverage sales benefit Food for Thought, Sonoma County's HIV-AIDS Food Bank. And also on Saturday at 6.30 p.m., the Russian River Sisters will host Roman Bathhouse Bingo at the Best Western in Healdsburg. This benefits the Sonoma County Pride celebration and will include a wine auction, a silent auction, and free nibbles. You must be 21 to enter. Tickets are $50, and you can learn more at rrsisters.org. And we'll have all of your 2016 Pride Celebration information available for Napa, Sonoma, and San Francisco on our website at OutBeatNews.com. For more information about LGBT events happening here in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter for updates from OutBeat Radio News all week long. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Moralia. OutBeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. Well, we're pretty lucky here in the North Bay to have several progressive educational programs that offer students a chance to earn a certificate or a degree in LGBT studies, queer studies, and women's studies. And one of those programs is right here at Sonoma State University. With us now is the chair of the Sonoma State University Women's and Gender Study Department and the founder of the Queer Studies Minor, Professor Donald Romsberg. Don, welcome to the show. Hi. Thank you. Okay, I think we can hear you okay. And then also with us in studio are a couple of his students, Harper Tadras and Chris Hanks. Welcome to you both. Hi. All right. right. Excellent. Well, Don, let's start with you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at Sonoma State University. Sure. I um, have a PhD in history from Berkeley, and... Uh, I really began at Sonoma State as a lecturer in the history department, uh, I guess back in 2006, and then taught some classes in women and gender studies and absolutely loved it. Uh, My background is the history of sexuality and LGBT history. And so when I was able to get a tenure track job there, um, I jumped at it and I have been there ever since. I've loved it. Awesome. We're pretty lucky to have you, that's for sure. And you founded the Queer Studies program. How did that come about? Well, it has been in, uh, it, uh, evolving for a while. The program itself got off the ground in 
2010. And before that, uh, a professor named Nan Alamia Boyd, who had since, has since moved to San Francisco State, had created a set of uh, classes there at, at Sonoma State um, that included Introduction to Queer Studies, uh, a higher-level queer theory class, as well as an LGBT lecture series. And so I basically just pulled those all together and formalized it by also drawing on some of the other great classes that relate to either sexuality studies or to LGBT people that are offered across the Sonoma State University campus. Mm -hmm. And what year did this all come together? It came together in 2010, so I guess we've been we've been going for about six years now, and we tend to have anywhere between 20 and 30 minors at any given time. Fantastic. So talk about some of the classes that are included in that, in the current program. Sure. So um, Introduction to Queer Studies is kind of a mixture of um, uh, Introduction to LGBT History and Lives in America and thinking about the ways that uh, normative systems of gender and sexuality put people, everyone, into different kinds of boxes and reward people who kind of come most close to being like the normal and punish or marginalize those that don't. And so it gives students lenses both on how to understand the broader society through queer studies as well as to understand and celebrate uh, the history and heritage of LGBT lives. Uh, we also have a Queer Studies Lecture Series, which is our most popular course. Uh, there's always over 200 students in it every spring, and that brings 12 speakers. They're artists and activists and scholars from all over the country. Uh, it's actually a fairly well-funded series through uh, some of the student fees that students pay. Um, you can create grants out of those, and so we've created this successful ongoing series. So we bring in people, filmmakers and musicians, drag performers, performance artists, um, people who are the top scholars um, in sociology and psychology of LGBT studies, for example. Um, and then we also have uh, the Queer Theory, Queer Lives class, which um, focuses on queer theory, um, uh, which if people don't know what it is, it's a very big and dynamic field of academic study that looks at and questions um, what produces the normal, and how we might resist its confines, broadly mm -hmm. speaking. Wow. Sounds pretty comprehensive. Let's go back to the speaker series for a second. Who are some of the folks that you had this spring? Oh, we've had some wonderful people this spring. Uh, we've had people um, like Felicia Elizondo, who was one of the original Screaming Queens, that's what she calls herself, mm -hmm. um, who was in the Compton's Cafeteria Riot in 1966 in San Francisco. It's kind of the precursor to Stonewall in many ways. The Forgotten Stonewall, uh, right? Sorry? The Forgotten Stonewall. The Forgotten yeah. Stonewall, right. We're doing our best to, to make sure it isn't forgotten. Um, we, we've we had uh, Cheryl Dunier, who's going to be coming on this Monday, tomorrow, and she's a amazing filmmaker. She's probably best known for The Watermelon Woman back in the 1990s, but uh, African-American lesbian filmmaker who continues to break ground with her work all the time. Um, we had a very controversial speaker, which uh, is a sociologist named Jane Ward, and she produced a book that got made a big splash this last year called Not Gay, and it looks at 
straight identified white men who have sex with other men and why it is that they do that and identify the way that they do. So we had a real sort of broad array of, of different kinds of speakers that were sort of activists, artists, and scholars. Wow. So talk about how this program is different from the broader women and gender studies program. Sure. So uh, this is a minor, and the women's and gender studies program is a major. Um, so a lot of people who minor in queer studies do get a women's and gender studies major, but many do not. Um, and the women's and gender studies major basically looks at how gender structures everything from our innermost sense of self to the broadest systems and structures of society, and then interrogates uh, those structures and systems and operations of gender power to try to create more expansive possibilities in terms of a gendered life for everyone. Hmm. So it's different in the sense that it's much more sort of grounded in a feminist tradition uh, of scholarship and activism, whereas queer studies is very, uh, they're overlapping, but is very much more sort of centered around lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender lives and culture, as well as this position of challenging regimes of the normal, as we say. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. So what are you finding that students are doing with these degrees? What Are they applying them into other areas, or is there a, a, a budding area of work specific in these areas? Well, what's been really neat was we didn't really know with uh, the queer studies minor where students would take that, but we've seen them do some, some amazing things. So some of them have gone on to work in LGBT nonprofit and advocacy work, uh, but others have taken it, like I know one, for example, who was a criminal justice studies major uh, and a queer studies minor who went on to work for a sheriff's department, and when the sheriff's department first started to think about how they were going to address the issue of transgender uh, prisoners, uh, uh, they approached this um, former student uh, who had the minor and said, hey, what do you think? Where should we go for some resources and information? Of course, Greg, they should have gone to you, but <laughs> we were delighted that the student had uh, this kind of uh, expert role to be able to provide. So it's been all sorts of things. We've had, we've had people go on to business, um, and um, to, there's been a lot of appreciation for uh, students who have a vocabulary and sensitivity around diversity. Um, and really so that's cool. been something that they've been able to use it for. Well, with this region being such a major tourist industry, I can't imagine that uh, students wouldn't be in high demand, you know, coming in and yeah. helping, helping the hospitality industry better understand LGBT culture. Yeah, and we found with our Women's and Gender Studies major, uh, students go on to social work degrees, law school, um, counseling degrees, education, uh, advocacy work. We've really found that um, while a lot of people think that, what are you going to do with that degree, right? Um, it actually, especially if you're going on to a higher degree, it makes students stand out in a way that people looking for people who are capable, students who are capable of interdisciplinary, flexible, uh, social justice-oriented thinking, uh, these become students who are in high demand. So um, we, we were really successful at placing our students into jobs um, and into um, higher education. Fantastic. Well, of course, we started our program over in Napa uh, after you did in 2012 and, and have had very similar feedback. We're seeing students go into all areas of social work. And Santa Rosa JC just started uh, their first LGBT 
course this last year. Um, yes. Are you what, what are you hearing around the state? Are, is this a an area of interest and expansion for the four year schools? It is absolutely. Um, when we came on board, we were the only the fourth CSU to have some kind of program or minor in LGBT or queer studies, and uh, since then, uh, four others have come on board. So um, it's something that you know most major public universities are going to have some kind of either program or minor or even LGBT or, or queer studies major, uh, I would say, within the next decade. Let's hope so. It's pretty exciting. So let's get talking to two of your students uh, here. Uh, you know, Harper, let's start with you. Tell us what brought you to Sonoma State. Um, well, I was um, – I'm originally from Orange County and um, I after I – Towards my senior year, like I really wanted to go to school in Northern California, and just because of just the liberal atmosphere and advocacy here, and it was between here and SF State, and I just uh, I really liked San Jose State a lot better, and that's how I got here. And any regrets about the decision? Uh, no, no regrets. Excellent, <laughs> excellent. Chris, how about you? Um, I'm actually I grew up here in Santa Rosa, um, and I was really attracted to SSU because I heard about the WGS program through two of my friends who had gone through the program, um, and it just sounded like something that was really um, in my interest field. Uh, and I really enjoy the job that I'm currently at over at Spice Sensuality Boutique, um, so I really wanted to to continue working there too. And so you were telling me before we went on the air, you don't live on campus. Harper, you do. I'm just curious about the difference in experience. Do you miss that going away to college experience? or? Um, I would say yeah, um, but cost was also a factor. I didn't want to pay out-of-state fees, and um, I didn't know of any other colleges that had the WGS program. Um, and I think I, I had gone to the JC before SSU, and it just sounded really appealing um, to stay local, too. My family's actually local also, so that was also a part of it. Got it. So let, let's start with you and, and your experience with the program. Talk about some of the classes that you found to be most enlightening and insightful or that maybe even changed your whole way of thinking. Um, the whole program has actually kind of changed my way of thinking. Uh, going into it, I had no idea really what I was going into. Um, and as soon as I started <laughs> it, um, <laughs> I had some idea, obviously. But, like, I, just challenging the normative, um, it, it was pretty mind-blowing um, and profound. Um, and it's changed my life in a lot of ways, Uh I got into my internship through the program at the Powerful Voices Project. Um, I'm the only intern there, and um, it's an organiza organization that's um, dedicated to uh, enhancing the conversation around sexual violence. Um, we actually video interview um, women who have gone through this experience uh, in the hope that it's cathartic for them, but also for others to hear. Um, so that's a program that I, or an internship I never would have thought I would have gotten into and this program through the different classes that I've done has inspired me to help other women um, and impress people. Um, so I'm really thankful for that. I would say some of my favorite classes would probably have been Intro into Queer Theory, um, which is 
Don taught that class, um, and he actually pulled me aside in that class, and he said, hey, I need to talk to you during my office hours, which every student dreads, um, <laughs> but he made sure to let me know, like, it was it was a good thing, and he offered me the TA position for the Queer Lecture Series, and I've really enjoyed doing that as well. Um, Fantastic. So, yeah. So you've had a chance to, to see and meet all of these incredible speakers this semester. Yeah, it's been pretty amazing to learn about queer history from other queer people and meet all these different artists, um, queer artists. Uh, it's been, yeah, it's been life-changing for me. And, like, taking on the TA position, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It's been a lot of work, but I've enjoyed all of it. Excellent, excellent. Harbor, how about you? Talk about your experience in the program. Um, my experience in the program has been amazing. Um, it's just like open. It's opened my eyes to so many different things. And I originally came in not a women's gender studies major. I was a sociology major, and I took um, Professor Romsberg's um, queer lecture series last year, and it really opened up my eyes. And I was debating if I should be a WGS major, and then I remember going into Professor Romsberg's office hours, and he gave me, like, why I should be, and then I kind of eventually changed to being a WGS major. And um, I took um, probably one of my um, favorite classes was um, Intro to Queer Studies last semester, which um, Professor Romsberg taught, and it really opened up my eyes and kind of fueled, like, my activism, like... um, spirit animal i guess and um i was at the same time i was president i'm still president of qsa queer straight alliance at ssu and like the class kind of helped me feel like starting to become a to help start the trans march that was in november and that was really successful and um and like i guess being a wgs major has really opened up my eyes and just like really taught me like the intersections of identities and how like we have to kind of in terms of fixing systematic oppression we have to f- think of it from more intersectional perspective and a much more broader perspective and yeah it's been yeah a really amazing experience fantastic i know in our lgbt studies uh, classes. One of the things that surprised me was the number of students that signed up to learn and discover about themselves. I don't, you know, I thought that that would be a possibility, but I don't know that I would have designed the course necessarily around that or with that intention. Don, what's your experience been? Have a lot of students found their their voice and their ability to come out as a result of of taking your classes? Well, first. Chris and Harper, thank you so much. <laughs> I feel like this is, uh, you know, all like thank, like you're you're being very sweet toward me. Um, we have two other incredible uh, main professors in the Women's and Gender Studies Department, Charlene Tung and Lena McQuaid, who all do, also are uh, dynamic and life changing for many students. So I just want to make sure to give a shout out to them. But um, uh, the um, I'm sorry, what was your question? Well, I, I guess I'm curious. Have you found that students oh, right. have taken your classes and found their voice and their identity and been able to come out as a result of what they've learned? Yeah, um, certainly so. I, what I, I think was most surprised by uh, was that not all of the people who are queer studies minors um, are LGBTQ. Right. And in fact, we have uh, um, many of our people in our introduction classes who are not LGBTQ and not necessarily even uh, coming in with a kind of ally perspective. Um, but people, uh, there's not as much of a sense of 
stigma or embarrassment to take a class that has, you know, queer in the title, as I suppose there, there would have been even five years ago. And so, um, so it's a combination, right? I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting course. Those intro courses are very um, challenging because on the one hand, you really want to um, give tools to LGBTQ students to really both find themselves and find a vocabulary and way of thinking that will make them sort of engage and transformative in the world around them. But then you also want to make sure that you're bringing um, information to people who wouldn't otherwise necessarily ever think about or consider um, LGBTQ people or why normativity itself, for example, might be a problem or might be doing harm or violence to others. Mm -hmm. So, Harper, as the president of the QSA, from your perspective, have you seen students be able to come out? Have they seen Sonoma State as a place where they're comfortable to be able to come out maybe for the first time? Um, it, like at times it can be for some people and this is I, for uh, everyone like it just coming into like a new environment like it can be just a little bit daunting to come like a little bit daunting to come out but um, I mean like once like we have like Q, like Q, Christian Alliance the space like for people to kind of be themselves there some like some of them actually end up be feeling more comfortable to be out with other students on campus and so um like even though we don't really have like that big of a queer population on campus we do have the community that we have um on campus is actually very tight-knit and yeah I was really impressed you said you, you have meetings twice a week and mm -hmm. You know, thirty people show up at mm -hmm. a time. I mean, that's that's a good size. Yeah, it's meeting. um, it's definitely kind of. It was a big jump from last year. Um, last year we only had about like eight students that would come to the meetings, and it would only be like once a week. And this year it was a very big jump. And we, um, me and the other officers of QSA, we worked really hard to just make sure we get the word out there and just make sure that hey, this is a um. Space for queer people, come on in, just everyone just come in and um yeah, and we got a really big turnout, and we tried like this year just to make ourselves more as more more visible as possible on campus, yeah, it's pretty cool, and you've got yeah. some activities you talked about one coming up here pretty soon, uh yes, we have um gender bender and rainbow prom, which is um this Thursday at nine o'clock at s s u it's free for everyone, and um um, gender benders kind of like the blurring the gender lines talent show so students can come in as whatever identity they want to express as if they want to express themselves go like it's just kind of a safe space and um, people can perform poetry on stage we like dance sing karaoke um, we have like the vagina monologues that's going to be performing on stage and um, it's going to be a really fun event and spice is going to be there as well and um Afterwards, we have Rainbow Prom, which is kind of just like the laid back kind of queer version of prom that's after Gender Bender. And are either of those events open to the public? Yeah, those are open to the public, yes. And where would people go to learn more about those two events? Um, Do you have a website or a Facebook page? Uh, yes. Um, if you want, you can just like access um, uh, Queer Stray Alliance of, SS, uh, of Sonoma State. On Facebook, and yeah, you can get more information on there. Perfect. And we'll put a link on our own website at OutbeatNews.com. Mm -hmm. You just click on Show Notes at the top of the page, and 
we'll direct you right to uh, the QSA page. Chris, what's in store for you after graduation? Um, it's This is something I've been grappling with for a little bit, but um, I think what I want to do is um, working at Spice has been really rewarding work for me, um, just helping other people uh, to express their sexuality and, and explore gender um, in a safe space. Uh, it's something really important to me. Um, so I think m- moving forward... Um, I would like to get my uh, marriage and family therapy um, degree, and I, I kind of want to work with queer youth because the suicide rates amongst queer youth is, are so high. Yeah, um, yeah. So I want to do some kind of therapy or work with queer youth. Um, I've actually – I gave a talk recently at a um, elementary school for teens in transition um, about the coming out process. Really? Uh, yeah, and it was really, really excellent because they were all really accepting. And I had kids Good come up you. to me after um, the talk and just ask me, how can I help my queer friends that are coming out? And it was just awesome. It's still <laughs> a pretty big struggle, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Harper, what about for you after graduation? What are your plans? Um, I've had like a couple things um, ideas in mind. Like, I definitely want to possibly go get my master's in either social work or public policy, and um, definitely possibly go into nonprofit specifically for um, queer youth um, and queer youth of color, just because it's still, we're still, like, even like with like passing of same sex marriage and like all these different things, um, it's still pretty marginalized to be open openly queer and like the suicide rate and just all the different statistics is extremely high and i just want to help in any way sort of way help my community out yeah well there's still there certainly is a lot of work to do right Mm -hmm. i mean i think a lot of folks have and i've said this a bunch of times on this show i've gotten very complacent after Mm -hmm. marriage Mm -hmm. they think we've won Mm -hmm. and uh you know when you can get married on a sunday and be fired in your job on monday in two-thirds of the country it's just one symptom of how much more work there is to do Mm -hmm. And uh, later in the show, we're going to be talking about a young man in Wyoming who committed suicide, uh, who is gay. And that's the state where Matthew Shepard was murdered 18 years ago. And so here we are again, and it was very much motivated around hate. Uh, And that was on the trail of a a sports coach from Wyoming who made a very anti-gay remark uh, to to his team where one of his players was gay. So... Obviously, a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. Don, uh, in the last few minutes here, uh, I want to talk about your involvement with the GLBT Historical Society because in addition to being a very busy professor here at Sonoma State, you're also very busy with the GLBT Historical Society. Tell us about your work. Sure, yeah. So uh, I've been involved with the organization for many years, and it's uh, it's an organization that's been around for over 30 years now. We have an amazing Archive, one of the largest archives of LGBTQ uh, materials in the world. Um, and then we also have the GLBT History Museum, which is open in the Castro and um, <clears throat> has uh, a number of different shows going on right now. We have uh, a show about um, lesbian and queer uh, of color posters from the 1970s through the 1990s. It's really dynamic. We have uh, uh, our back show, which is up sort of a hundred years of queer history uh, in our main gallery. Um, and then we have another show that's um, up right now called Dancers We- We've Lost, which is about 
recognizing and remembering the dancers that we've lost, primarily to HIV and AIDS, but also um, to other diseases over the years. So um, we also have a ton of programming uh, going on at the museum at any given time, and it's everything from author talks, um, such as yours, (laughs) to uh, panel discussions, to um, artist conversations. Um, So we have a bunch of stuff uh, coming up. One thing I want to really give a shout out to is uh, this is the 50th anniversary, as I said, of the Compton Cafeteria riot in 1966 when trans people and sex workers and street kids basically rose up against police aggression and violence and and harassment and said no more. And it was a um, uh, one of these moments where queer, queer people on the margins pushed back and helped push our movement forward. And so we are going to be doing um, a series that we'll be rolling out uh, in the summer, in July, that will be running through September, uh, that will be a number of different programs related to the 50th anniversary of Compton's. Fantastic. And, and you know, we talked earlier, that's really the stonewall that no one either knows about or has forgotten about. And uh, it happened right here in the Bay Area. So it's a fantastic opportunity to go down and learn something about our history and also to visit the museum. It's it's a fantastic resource. I've, I bring classes there about six times a year. And, um, you know, it's 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 remarkable because that history is all lost. It's it, it's not present in the high school and, and – uh, in high school history books yet. Yeah, it, that's that's right. I'm working on that too, but that's another show. Um, I do want to mention that the, uh, the Historical Society's archives are on the move. So we are moving to a space that is uh, about half again as large as the space we have now. We've just, we've run out of room in our current archive. And this means that this bigger space will allow us to have more diverse collections to bring in more people's stuff um, and to save more of our history so that documentarians and students and authors and scholars can access those materials and uh, create new stories out of them or to tell the stories that otherwise would be forgotten. So we, we have an Indiegogo campaign called Queer History is on the Move. So if people go to Indiegogo.com and look for Queer History is on the Move, they can give to that. We are in the last six days of the campaign, and we're trying to raise $25,000 of the 35000 that it's going to cost us to safely uh, move those archives. And we'll put that link on our website as well. Uh, great opportunity to help preserve history. I'm really excited. Next month, uh, Terry Biswick, the new executive director of the, of the Historical Society, is going to be celebrating Harvey Milk Day with us on this show. And so Fantastic. We'll, we'll have more time great. To, to learn about that and to hear how the move went. It's great. Yeah, he, he's fantastic. He's brought a whole new energy to uh, to the the organization, and uh, we are just dynamic and taking off right now. So it's it's a great right. time for people to plug in and get involved in some way. Excellent. Well, we've been talking with Professor Donald Romsberg from Sonoma State University and his amazing students Harper, Tadras, and Chris Hanks. Thank you all for being on the show with us tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to Outbeat News In-Depth on KRCB Radio 91. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, this month has been filled with stories about anti-LGBT religious liberty fights, which are all part of the fallout from last summer's marriage equality decision by the Supreme Court. 
And all of this has taken its toll, especially on LGBT youth. Last month, a gay teen took his own life in Wyoming, the same state where 18 years ago Matthew Shepard's life was taken by hate. Here to talk about all of these stories is Matthew Shepard Foundation Communications Associate, Sean McEntee. Sean, welcome back to the show. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. Well, we've got a lot to talk about because there is, of course, so much going on in the news. But let's start with this coach uh, in Colorado who made this horrible homophobic remark in front of his players. Yeah, so um, story was uh, broken on Outsports. It was, it, I think it was, uh, it was an email, actually, that the player, Tyler Dunnington, sent. Um, and this is, this is him explaining why he left baseball you know he, his his dream was to be an M, uh, MLB player play professional baseball and then a couple years ago left or at, maybe in 2015 left the game and um just because after years of being this closeted person and just being surrounded by homophobia and whether it was like um remarks or actions that people took just not feeling safe in this game that he loves so much anymore right. and and it, what he's referencing happened a couple of years ago too so we're, it's all kind of coming out of the woodwork now. Yeah, well, the fact that it happened a couple of years ago, obviously he's talking about it now. It, it had a monumental impact on him, and it was a really horrific statement. Um, this coach referenced what happened with Matt back in 1998 and, and alluded that this was, this was commonplace in Wyoming. Yeah, I mean, so this person, you know, who's from there and made the, the reference in reference to Matt, you know, we kill gay people in Wyoming, passing it off as a joke – would you know anyone who whether you're gay or not i feel like a lot of people would be unsettled by that statement or how that's being laughed at so long and especially with everything else that's happening in terms of even back in 2014 this is you know pre-marriage equality and that whole debate's still going on um it just goes to show that cultural attitudes are still behind in comparison to our political sphere and kind of what's being done at an advocacy level. There's so many corners of the country that this hasn't really sunk in as being a critical issue yet, especially when it comes to just the things we say and what comes out of our mouth when we don't think other people who would be affected are listening. Well, I think it's outrageous on several levels. One, because this guy's a coach and he's supposed to be a mentor and a leader for his players and these young people at school, certainly as a teacher, uh, I would never expect any of my colleagues, no matter how they felt about LGBT issues and marriage and anything else, to make a statement like that. And so as a coach, he's a teacher. And to make a statement like that in front of his players, whether he knows any of them are gay or not, is completely outrageous. And then to make a statement like that, uh, that references something that is really a painful part of Wyoming's history, completely outlandish to me. It is. Um, and it's something, too, that... It, the backlash from this, as soon as the story broke and this player shared the story, I mean, that, that was a shared belief. It was immediate of, I cannot believe that this was said and what's going to be done about this, what's happening over here, especially like this person's from Wyoming. Like the, the constant defense of Wyoming not being a hateful place or a bigoted or ignorant or anti-gay place can sometimes be very difficult to accomplish because there's a lot working against them in that argument. Um, but the, the one thing I think that's important to note is that this person did, this coach almost immediately came forward and admitted fault for this and has shown a lot of remorse and regret for the impact that this statement had and that it it really forced 
a person out of this sport and out of their dream and then and, and kind of away from everything that they had worked toward and you know this person having the sudden realization of how big something like that can be even though it seems so small or laughable at the time um and i i think this is also a time too and this is a perfect example of you know this is how we have to to make allies in this and accepting that this person is is coming forward and, and you know owning up to this and not backing away or shying and saying well this is just what it was at the time or oh well this is what it's like in baseball there, there there's been no excuses made other than i made a stupid statement that hurt a lot of people and at this point it's okay well how do we move forward to make sure that this doesn't happen again and so my understanding is he, he's actually taking some affirmative actions around trying to combat homophobia now um, he he has, to his credit, admitted saying something like that. I think the quote that I read was he doesn't recall exactly what he said, but he remembers the comment, um, and he's apologized for it, as you said. But he's also doing something about that to prevent it perhaps from happening again. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's been a lot of outreach and meeting with people, people at the university, uh, people coming to him at various LGBT orgs and him, you know, sitting down and having these conversations and meeting with these people. I, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know if he's like reunited or spoken with Tyler himself. I, I don't know where that relationship stands or what the progress on that would be. I, I am seeing someone embracing um, a new opportunity to, to kind of correct this wrong. Mm-hmm. And to become a, become a more aware and insightful and caring and compassionate person, um, it, it's something where it, it is an outlandish thing. But this person coming forward and admitting this, where you do have to take the fact that I, I don't think this was intended to be hateful. I don't think this person does hold that inside of them. It seems that they're they're actively trying to to, to do what's right. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Let's move on to the story in Gillette, another story from Wyoming. Uh, This was a young man who committed suicide after living with years and years and years of bullying, sort of the same scenario that we've seen play out uh, that was first broadcast in the media back in 2009, but has nevertheless been a problem that's continued well beyond that. Uh, Talk about that story a little bit and what the Matthew Shepard Foundation did in terms of responding. Yeah, this was, it was sort of like a weird issue of timing but um more you know more more than a year ago the the p-flag chapter in gillette which is very new and recently established had invited jason marsden our executive director at the foundation up to speak um to a group of people in their community about issues affecting lgbt youth specifically self-harm and suicide and substance abuse and all these other um you know damaging acts that are a product of living in an unaccepting environment. And this had just been a date on Jason's calendar for a year, March 16th. And then a week before that, the story of Trevor O'Brien comes out, this 20-year-old you know, openly gay person in Gillette who had uh, taken his own life after just years and years and years of anti-gay bullying. And um, the funeral was held the day before Jason went up there. And it was just... it. it it was him really interacting with the community at its most vulnerable at this point and the desperation of, okay, what do we do or what are we doing wrong or how are we failing was very prevalent there. It, it was a very emotional experience for him. And, um, but also kind of some flashbacks too of here we are again, mourning the loss of a young person 
because there's it's just like an unaccepting environment to be in. And um, Wyoming just continues to be this long overdue frontier of, of, of civil rights and acceptance and kind of changing cultural attitudes. And we've been doing it for more than 18 years now. And it's clear the people are they're paying attention and they want this and it's just the right people need to listen and take action and, and, and do what's right here. Wow. Where exactly in Wyoming is Gillette in relationship to Laramie? Gillette is, it's in Eastern Wyoming. It's, I would, I think it's about three and a half to four hours. I feel like it's about six hours North of Denver. Well, everything, so is, everything's a couple hours away, right? Well, yeah, I, it, I think it's just straight up right. Um, North on 25 okay. from Denver. Okay. So it, it's uh, it's closer to Sheridan, Wyoming, than Laramie. And is it a community that you would say is similar to Laramie? No, it's a, Gillette is a coal town. Okay. And you know, you know, Laramie is kind of the epitome of liberalism in Wyoming, with the university and the population size, and also its proximity down to Denver and Fort Collins and everything. Um, it's a little bit younger, but Gillette is much smaller and. Well, I, I guess you could say stereotypically probably more conservative sure. than it would be. But um, it, I, I think one of the one of the main issues that it's happening here is Wyoming is kind of this for us. It's the symbol of the work that we are desperately trying to do, and where we see it's critical. But it's not a problem that's unique to Wyoming whatsoever. Um, right. it, 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 it's happening. You know, there hasn't been uh, an anti-gay like um, like a murder since Matt. And then you have Trevor Bryan who took his life as a result of that. But there, there are things happening in the biggest, most accepting cities every single day. Um, Wyoming just keeps coming up in our archive and in our history. And it's something that we're still working at to this day. Yeah, you would think of all the places that would have made some strides towards understanding and acceptance, it would be Wyoming. And they've had you know, well over a decade, almost two decades now to do something about it. And and I think you're absolutely right. This stuff just keeps happening and happening. And it's almost, you know, I get the sense that, that there's a, well, we don't really want to talk about this. This was an isolated incident. We want to move on from it. And yet history has in a different way, but still with a loss of life repeated itself here. Yeah. It's, um, it's also something too, where you look at the state as a whole of, you know, who's representing down in Cheyenne and the Capitol, and then you also look at the people that we work with or the people we hear from or who are doing work in their cities and their towns, from Casper to Sheridan to Gillette to Laramie to Jackson. And there, there are people who are doing really good work. And there are people who care and they're compassionate and they're desperately trying. There's just, I, I think like all issues here, there are certain people um, put in positions to represent and to, and to make these decisions and they're either not interested, not listening, or they're just ignorant to it. And there, there's the stubbornness there, and um, it, it's causing a lot of problems. It, it's causing things to be halted, and it's affecting even th- these people might not be as visible to them, or they might not know LGBTQ people, but it's, um, it's not getting better. It almost feels like Wyoming is in the deep south, you know, in many, many ways. Though they haven't had, has there been any legislation like we've seen in some of the southern states that is clearly anti-gay and discriminatory, or are they just sort of been neutral and unresponsive? So the history, the pattern of legislation in Wyoming is mostly that it's an indifference across the board. There, there's been nothing that's um, 
overly anti or pro that's been passed or considered. Everything kind of related to LGBTQ issues seems to um, fade out almost immediately and not really make it to the point to be considered or passed or turned into law. Mm. And um, we've seen that in other places too. I feel like Virginia, I believe, is an example of just kind of this repeated pattern of, well, not this year, not this year, not this year. So it's never making it past these general assemblies and never making it to the floors of the House and the Senate. And Wyoming has you know, even when it gets the, the opportunity to do it, which I'd be like a year and a half ago, um, again, they didn't. So you have to wait. So it, come next January, it, there's a possibility that Wyoming could see this legislation again. And it's particularly our interest in getting a hate crimes law passed in that state. But Yeah. Well, two glimmers of hope. One is that there's a PFLAG organization there. So, mm-hmm. so that's a good thing. It's another group that's got some national ties. Um, and I think it was really fortunate that they had Jason come up and, and be able to represent the foundation in a case that has so much similarity in terms of its genesis being hate. Um, but tragic all the way around, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, there, there's a lot we still have to do, and it, it's a collective group effort. There, there's also a part of even people in this movement in this, um, and in this adv- realm of advocacy we're failing a little bit and we have to do better for the young people who, who, who aren't able to help themselves yet. Sure. Well, let's shift gears to Charlotte and North Carolina, one state of many who have passed anti-gay legislation. I think the quote that I read in an article was that there's over 200 bills pending uh, in state legislatures around the country that have some form of discrimination built into them. And Charlotte's been one of the, the towns that tried to support Uh, transgender folks with access to restrooms. And then the state legislature came in in almost a panic mode and passed this horrific law that now makes it illegal for cities, local jurisdictions, to have LGBT protection ordinances in place. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. The the other thing that's noticeable or um, of note for North Carolina is, is the, like, how fast this happened. It, It was a day. It was, went, yeah, it was almost like they considered it an emergency. Yeah, it was It was something that clearly was – they were waiting to pull a trigger on it if they had to. And once Charlotte – and here the thing is Charlotte's ordinance didn't even go into – would not have gone into effect until today. And so this was – it wasn't even – it didn't even wait for that to become enforceable. It was an immediate response that it, it came in in the morning, was introduced, and made its way through the entire process in that day. And then the and governor then, came in and signed it that night. Yeah, and and he made it very clear why he was doing it. it this wasn't an issue of oh, I didn't know better. This was this was a common sense move to him, and those are his words. You know, this was about common sense privacy, and it's it's one of the first we've seen. You know, like you said, there are hundreds and hundreds of these bills that are popping up all across the country. Um, I believe. Oklahoma, I think, had the most in one session, and they all were defeated. Um, I think they had like 26 at one time that were considered anti-LGBT, yeah, and, and Georgia, none of them made it through. And Georgia like, also had a pretty nasty one, but the governor vetoed it. Yes, and I believe I, uh, I believe Virginia just followed as well with, with the governor vetoing theirs. Um, and a lot of this, too, is seeing what happened <laughs> what, or what is happening in North Carolina now. Um, as far as the backlash is concerned, and, and you know, the, the, attor- the attorney general in the state has come forward and basically said, like, this is not going to be enforced. The state is being sued for this law, right? Um, 
other, the New York uh, governor has banned travel, all non-essential public health travel to the state um, for state employees. Uh, other people are, other um, cities, Seattle, I believe, is one of them. San that Francisco. Has San, San Francisco, Francisco as well. Yeah. So it, it's, it, um, it, it's a little similar. It, it's much more harsh um, in, in, a, in a way that I agree with, and it's a necessary response. But we saw this, too, when, um, when Indiana passed its, you know, quote-unquote, religious liberty bill, and when Houston uh, repealed their HERO Act that provided protections, there's, um, there's a lot of, there, there's just a, a, a rooted response in all of this where these people are trying to pass these protections, and when they're repealed or they're, or they're not able to do so, and it, it all comes down to this bathroom panic, and it's this, this fear-mongering that we can't quite figure out yet how to combat. Yeah. And it, in, you know, the North Carolina ordinance, what struck me about it is it went way beyond that. It said, Mm -hmm. not only can you not have an ordinance, which provides access, appropriate access to restrooms for folks. It says you can't pass an ordinance that provides any other protections. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's, in my mind, it's much more damaging and, and all in the, all under the justification of religious freedom. And also, even beyond religious freedom, it's about like an ingrained societal decency that, you know, you, there would be no, um, you know, in their terms with this panic thing of allowing men into women's bathrooms or, or any mixing of the genders whatsoever. And it, it, it's working in a system that these LGBT organizations that you know we're involved in and that we help, like we're we're trying to educate for years and years now. Of, well, it, it's all incorrect. There, there's a much broader scope of all of this, and you know, non-binary issues and everything like that. But most importantly, it just um, it, it's not happening. Their, their arguments against this aren't real. It's just it's fear. There, there, there's you're just they're subjecting trans people to even more disproportionate levels of violence and bigotry and discrimination by passing these bills right. than they are. And I think that's that the worst part is that, like you said, it goes that extra mile of it stops anything from being created rather than just um, repealing the specific one or coming out against this is that it, it's going backward far more steps than the people of North Carolina deserve. And I, I, I'm very interested to see how long this will last. I know in Indiana we saw, you know, a lot and a lot of action being taken to correct the mistakes that they had made with that bill. And um, I'm not sure if North Carolina will be able to last if they keep this bill active. Well, it's interesting. Uh, corporations certainly have responded. Uh, some symbolically, others with with threatening to remove. Uh, business from the state or take events uh, away from the state. Uh, Wells Fargo, I think one of the things I thought that was really cool is on their corporate headquarters in Charlotte uh, projected a pink triangle on the top of their building, uh, which again, symbolically isn't going to impact things, but but Wells Fargo is a big company. And so money talks as it Mm -hmm. has in Georgia. I think that was one of the things, although the governor there said that wasn't his reason for vetoing the bill. Hollywood, for example, represented $1.7 billion in tax revenue to that state. And had that ordinance remained or had that law remained in place, uh, those film producers said, hey, you're not going to get that. We're not going to we're not going to produce films in your state. And that represented a financial threat to them. Mm -hmm. 
So hopefully businesses will speak up in the same way and, and legislators will take note. And regardless of whether they what they feel about restroom access, uh, you know, hopefully that will all lead to a repeal. Hopefully. I, I think a, a big thing, too, is I'm, I'm hoping that with, as people behind the scenes of, of this advocacy and these LGBTQ organizations is that we are um, failing a little bit to get ahead of these things. Um, you know, the, the symbolism of like a Wells Fargo of projecting your pink triangle, it would have been more powerful beforehand right. or during it. There's a lot of after these things happen, now we're, we're coming out and we, we have to do better in getting ahead of these and, and kind of stopping it from getting to this point where we're just trailing alongside these bills. And so it, it, sometimes it's too close to call. And it's a very difficult um, path to navigate because you don't want to we've come so far in our progress in defeating you know bigotry and discrimination and just like ridiculous accusations and beliefs and so to to come with a firefighting fire approach to this bathroom panic is a little kind of goes against <laughs> what we've accomplished and what we're trying to do sean for our listeners who are not familiar with the matthew shepherd foundation tell us where they can go to learn more no yeah you Best way to go is our website, matthewshepard.org, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-S-H-E-P-A-R-D.org. There you can find all of our program information, our contact information, download resources and publications that we've made, and find out all about the great work we do and also great ways that you can get involved. And you can follow the Matthew Shepard Foundation on Facebook and Twitter as well. Yep, and also Instagram. Perfect. It's a great way to stay connected. Sean, thanks so much for being with us tonight. Thank you very much for having me. And that brings us to the end of our hour. Thank you to all of my great guests tonight. I'll be back next month on Sunday, May 22nd, celebrating Harvey Milk Day. My guests will be Terry Beswick, the new executive director of the GLBT Historical Society, and Chuck Ramsey from Sonoma County Pride. Be sure to tune in next Sunday night to Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio 91. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Outbeat News in Depth is hosted and produced by Greg Moralia exclusively for KRCB Radio. You can listen to our shows on demand on iTunes and on our website at OutbeatNews.com. And be sure to follow us all week long on our Facebook page and Twitter feed for the latest LGBT news from here in the North Bay and beyond.